You know, I I just can't believe that people will, like, say the most ridiculous things to defend their right to be incredibly mean to other people and not open-minded and not listening. And I think I've never seen a better example of that than the response uh, about the New York Times op-ed that appeared that, I mean, what exactly did it say that people think is so wrong? Because I think it's really right, okay? (laughs) And I'm not a stupid person, I'm sorry, and I think you guys haven't thought it through or haven't thought about, like, what it is exactly that you're fighting for. Because the right to destroy people's lives seems to me what you're fighting for. Because I hear this First Amendment thing is like, well, you have the right to say whatever you want, but you don't have, but I have the right to make your life miserable. But you don't have to make their life miserable, right? It's like, I mean, it's like, it's a childish argument. I mean, okay, let's say for the moment that you do have the right to drive Al Franken out of the Senate without any kind of a process to figure out if the allegations made against him have any credibility at all. Well, it's great. Maybe you do have the right to do that. But was it, in hindsight, a very smart thing to do? I come at it from a my own point of view. I mean, I am one of the first people to uh, use the internet, use the web, actually, as a publishing platform. It was something I stumbled across almost accidentally in 1994 um, because I was basically out of a job or, you know, and looking for something to do. And yet I had sold my company to another company and we had done an IPO and I didn't need to work. So I had, you know, all the time in the world to figure out what to do. And, um, and it just came across, it just came up in discussions with people, you know, various things I was exploring. I looked at the web and, and a friend of mine was announcing a new product and I thought, well, okay, I have all these email addresses. Let me see. I'll send them the announcement. And then I got back a bunch of responses and then I sent, them an email that I had sent to the president of the IBM PC division um, and to the CEO of Apple about saying, hey, you know, you guys ought to be working together because Apple's got a great product and IBM has a, a big company and it's lots of money and needs a great product. And between the two of you, you might actually be, you know, an answer to Microsoft. <laughs> thinking that IBM's operating system wasn't going anywhere and Apple at the time you know, wasn't going anywhere either. And then a couple of pieces later, it just hit me. Oh my God, look what's going on here. I mean, I had all this idea flow coming back to me because I had a really good you know, set of business cards. And, um, and so I wrote a piece that said, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It just is full of potential for ideas coming off of anybody's desk. It doesn't have to be a journalist. And so then I started writing about all the things that I saw that were wrong, that didn't work the way they should work, you know, and and it started working. <laughs> it, was the, it was the most remarkable thing. And in hindsight, why? Because, well, okay, this was social media before there was social media. 
And I had no competition at all for attention. I was the only act in town. And, um, and, and people, I think, had, had had a sense that something like this was going to come at some point, that this was the sort of nexus of the personal computer and its ability to be a writing machine and uh, the Internet's ability to do instantaneous movement of ideas around the world. Um, and the web was just perfectly set up to do that. Um, and ever since I discovered that, well, okay, I've been on a mission from two standpoints. One, I'm a software developer, so I wanted to develop software that developed this whole idea of using the Internet as a way for people who know stuff to share that stuff with other people. And, uh, and then the other side was just pure, let's go find the smart people and let's get them doing this because I want their ideas as much as I want to share my ideas. I want their ideas and I want to work with them. <laughs> How else will I know they're there unless they're t talking about or writing about what they do? And, uh, and that led to something that took me from 1994 till I'm still doing it today. And I've had some measure of success. Uh, we've put out blogging tools. We've put out feed readers and podcasting and uh, outliners and all kinds of ideas we've tried out. And some of them work and some of them don't. I um, went to uh, Harvard University as a fellow at the Berkman Center. My mission in doing that was to go find the smart people in Cambridge, Mass., and get them on board. Well, it didn't happen exactly the way I thought it would. What happened was we had an incredible perch. This was in 2003 uh, to draw political people into the blogosphere. And uh, and boy, did that work. <laughs> 2003 was an election. The uh, We were in, in the Boston area and uh, there was the New Hampshire primary. And uh, New Hampshire is very close to Boston. The population centers in New Hampshire are basically, you know, it's almost like Massachusetts. And so we would go uh, several times a week up there, up to Ma uh, New Hampshire. And, uh, and we had conferences and uh, we met all the bloggers at all the different campaigns. And we talked about ways we could help each other and, you know, ideas for how to use it. This was one of those places where... There was a lot of open sharing between competitors. Uh, the The campaigns probably didn't know they were doing it, but um, and I ended up in at Dean headquarters on the night of the Dean screen, <laughs> which was a one of the I don't know I have to say it was one of the big moments of my life. So all along I've been looking for ways to get this idea out that hey you know be we're sources. This is the disconnect that we've had with the journalism world, because they look at what we do and they think, oh, well, these people think they can do what we do. And I can show you some incredible examples of that, of where they just completely misunderstand what we're doing. Um, you know, I, I, I explain it like this, is that we're the amateurs. We're your sources. We're not doing what you do. We're not reporters. We're not maintaining a list of, we're not writing news stories. We're writing of our own experience. And 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 this has, even though the journalists don't didn't anticipate it and don't really understand what happened, you see them quoting people off of Twitter all the time. I mean, it's you know sometimes they call it on social media and sometimes they just say on Twitter, you know, um, and it's just 
the continuation of the same idea that I've been working on since 1994. But the journalists have been big sticks in the mud uh, on this idea. And they um, every time they feel threatened by this, and they're, they're, they're seeing things that aren't there, unfortunately. And then they just go on the attack, and they talk about how, you know, what the monsters of the internet, and they just use it as an excuse to not pay any attention. And as real as a result, they get very, what I call monoculture. It's just that only certain ideas penetrate. And so if you watch the news every night and you read the New York Times and the Washington Post, you see the same ideas recycled over and over again, even though there are many other approaches to these problems. And the, the, the rate of adoption is, is very limited by the ability and willingness of journalism to be open to the idea that there actually are good ideas out here and there are people who know what they're talking about. So the response to the New York, New York Times piece was typical journalism. It was dismissive without even listening. They didn't read the piece. They gave us the same response as if they had said something that they didn't say. They didn't say that there's a First Amendment right that you're violating here. They didn't say that. The point was, we're getting in the way of people who could help. And they didn't say this either, but it follows from it, which is maybe instead of being in their way, we should help them. <laughs> instead of being their problem, we should help them. Well didn't go over very well. My theory on it is, is that the people who got so upset about it are people who are about 27 years behind the times. <laughs> they managed to climb a ladder. These are relatively young people, from my point of view, who act like very fucking old people. It's like, I've climbed the ladder, and I don't want to let anybody else up. And so when I see somebody crawling into my space being stupid because they see people that aren't them or their friends as being stupid, uh, if I notice them at all, I'm going to kill them. <laughs> and I have the right to do this. This is the big point they want to make. Damn it, I have the right to do this. And fuck you if you think I don't because go read the fucking First Amendment. And by the way, I will send you a copy of that XKCD cartoon that I've only seen about 12 million times. I've even posted it a few times myself. It's like, yeah, I know. I know. You think you're allowed to trash people and destroy their lives. But I want to add a little addendum to that. It doesn't mean you have to do it. And it doesn't mean it's a good idea. And it doesn't mean you aren't guilty of something else, even if it's not legal. You may be holding back the bit of progress that we need to solve climate change, to figure out how to combat the, you know, the COVID pandemic, um, how to avoid a nuclear war in Ukraine, um, how to prevent the United States from becoming a totalitarian autocracy, because we're still hovering on the edge of that. It feels like we may have gotten something of a reprieve, but if you could tell me how we get from where we are to a free and fair election in 2024, I'm all years. But it looks to me like unless something amazing happens, that's where we're headed. 
These are the big problems we have to deal with. And predictably, the same old voices are coming up with the same old stale ideas. And we're sitting here wondering, when is somebody in charge going to do something about this shit? We're wasting our time and we're not listening to the right people. And we're, we're like, just this is the most ridiculous way for us to spend our time. But it did highlight something important that the New York Times in its, in its own voice is on the path to understanding what the problem is. And all that these people can think of doing is saying that they have the right to fuck them over. And that is so childish. It's like, it's how a child uses power. A clever, smart adult looks for something, something, some, something good that they can build on. And that New York Times op-ed, to me, is what I've been waiting for for a very long time. So I, my hat's off to them. And shame on the people who will not, just want to be in the way. And I look forward to the day when we get around you and you no longer have anything to say about this and we can just get on with it. We have to get on with it. We just have too many problems to solve. We need everybody on board and we need to stop wasting time on this bullshit. So anyway, that's my thought. Um, Hope you're having a great Saturday and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.